right, let's take out the Bibles or open up, fire up the Bible app device of your choice. Uh, and we are turning to 2 Timothy this morning. Last week, uh, we began a sermon series in which we're going to work our way slowly through this specific book of the Bible. Uh, last week, I pretty much just introed the series or gave this overarching theme about what 2 Timothy is about and what we're trying to get at. And we really just camped out on verse 1, and not, not even the whole thing, just a portion of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, which simply says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that really is kind of the overarching main theme of the book of 2 Timothy, and that is that God has a will for us. He has a plan for each and every one of us. There is a calling, a specific calling upon our lives, and what that means is that you and I, that we are endowed with glorious splendor, with glorious and glorious endowment of glorious purpose. What that means is that our lives do, in fact, matter. They're meaningful, they're significant, and this should thrill us, this should excite us, this should comfort us, that the God of the universe isn't simply um, walking galaxies through the cosmos, he's like taking us by the hand and walking us through our lives. He's not only interested in the course of history, he's interested with the course of your day, the course of your week, your month, your, your year, your life. God is tuned into us in such a way that he desires for our lives to be productive and good and fruitful and meaningful and not a waste of time. So I think that that should thrill us all, that should comfort us all. We've titled this series, The Charge. Why? Because you have to title a series something, apparently, according to what they tell me. So here you go. So who are calling it something. Um, but there's actually a rhyme and a reason for it. The fact that God has a will for your life and for my life means that there is a specific charge that he has granted to you. And having received such a glorious calling, such a glorious charge from God, we should do what? charge into our life. We should charge into our, our daily lives in order to do what it is that God has prepped us for or prepared for us. We should march into our daily routine, ready, willing, and able to do whatever it is that God has charged us to do. And so what this series is about is that. It's about us getting inspired, convicted, committed, uh, equipped to live out this charge that is before us, that we can live out this glorious purpose that God has for us. So that was kind of like the main discussion last week. That was like this introduction into the uh, book of 2 Timothy. And here's what I want to do this week. You ready? Introduction to the book of 2 Timothy part duh. Like, we're going to get all nuts and crazy up in here this morning. We're going to have two introductions into a sermon series. Who does that? So we're just crazy, right? This is outrageous. Um, and, and the main thought is this. Just the main, I hope, that I was trying to do last week is kind of take a 35,000-foot view. Like, this, this big panoramic shot of the book and, and what this calling and then today, I actually want to kind of dial in a little bit. I want us to kind of descend a little bit. Maybe we're not quite yet ready to, to lower, you know, the, the, the wheels. You know, we're not quite at the runway level, but we're coming down. We're coming down, and that's what I want to do today. It's actually get a little bit closer to the ground where we actually live to actually talk specifically about what our calling is. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life over to Christ, you have a calling, and it is simply this disciple other people it really is that simple like it's not rocket science it's that simple make disciples this is our spiritual gig this is job number one for the christian make more disciples and help christians make more christians and make help christians to grow in their christian faith that's that's the gig that's what we signed up for when we said yes to jesus that's part of the deal that's part of what we signed up for and I am fully aware that when we bring up this topic of discipleship, 
several things kind of cross our mind and go, and go through, through our thinking. Uh, I think this is a topic that's often misunderstood. When we talk about a disciple, like what is a disciple? I mean, if I'm going to be a disciple, does that mean I need to wear like a specific type of sandal and grow up my beard and let my hair grow out? Like, if that's the case, then it sounds like a disciple and a hippie are really kind of the same thing. Like, is that what a disciple is? And then, so it, it's, it can be misunderstood. And then it's often intimidating, I think, to a lot of people. So I need to make disciples. Well, does that mean I have to be some grand master? Like the master and have like this Padawan that comes alongside and I have to like train them up in the ways of the force? Like is that what it means to be a disciple maker? Must I be some kind of weird spiritual guru and only speak in riddles that no one can understand? Like what does it mean to be a disciple maker? And so there's a lot of confusion. And to make it harder or more difficult, how in the world am I supposed to be a disciple maker when no one has ever done that for me? Like, I don't know what this looks like. No one ever did it for me. So how in the world am I supposed to make disciples of other people? So it gets into a really difficult conversation for a lot of us. So I just want to unpack this today. Like, what does this mean? What does this look like in real life? And really, this is what we're going to spend this entire series getting into the weeds on. So real quick, the word discipleship just means being a mentor. That's all it is. It's just being... Being uh, someone who mentors an apprentice, so it's apprenticing an individual. It's teaching a person to do something. It's training someone to live a very specific way. way. It's giving instruction with your words and giving instruction through your actions. So you, you model it. You're an example to follow. So through your words and through your actions, you are mentoring someone or some individuals in your sphere of life. So to give a little bit more of a formal definition, I came up with this. So discipleship is communicating ideas. It's modeling ideals for the sake of reproducing those ideas and ideals in another person. That's what it is. I'll say it again. Discipleship is communicating ideas and modeling ideals for the sake of reproducing those ideas and those ideals in another person. All right. Now, I, I know this, like, because I've been in church long enough that you start talking about being a disciple and being a disciple making, you start talking about discipleship, people start, like, spazzing me out. They start wigging out. They, they get all bewildered and confused and consternated and, and uncomfortable as if we're talking about something that's really alien to life in, in the world. And it really isn't. The whole idea of discipleship is as natural to us as breathing. It, it's instinctive. This is part of what it means to be a human being. We we do this naturally, we, we have this impulse in us, whether we're aware of it or not, to reproduce ourselves in the lives of other people. We are constantly trying to get people to believe what we believe and think what we think and do what we do and do it the way that we do. And if they don't agree, then we make fun of them. Like this is how peer pressure works. You get a group of like-minded people and they make fun of other people. Like you got to be this way. We're always trying to conform people to our image. Always, whether you're aware of it or not. So let me give you some practical examples of what, what this actually looks like. How do you think a baby learns to say mommy or daddy? It's discipleship. You take your little baby and you sit him on your lap and you go, ma, 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 ma. Da, 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 da. And the whole time you're pointing to yourself or to your spouse like ma, 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 da, da. And they learn that that's mommy and that's daddy. That's teaching, that's training, that's discipleship. That's all that is. All right, all right, so let me just show you that it's not only adults that disciple young people. Kids do it all the time, too. So my Edie, she just finished up first grade. On her own, without being prompted to do so, on her own, she has taken Ellie aside, who just finished preschool, and has started trying to teach her how to write words. We didn't tell Edie to do that. On her own, 
She's taking what she learned in kindergarten and first grade, and she's imparting it upon her younger sister. Oh, no, she just wants to. She can't help it. So, and then Ellie, and this is several months ago, on her own, without being prompted, took Emmett before he was even three years old and started teaching him his colors and how to at least count. One, two, three, that's green. No, that's red. Like, on her own. And now that Emmett is three years old, like without being coached, without being told to do so, he has taken 10-month-old Eve and teaching her in the ways of tantrums and <laughs> lack of patience. Like we do this naturally. Like you see what I'm saying? Like even if you're not aware of it, we are natural-born disciples. We we're constantly reproducing in other people, intentionally or unintentionally, whether aware of it or not. We're always exerting a level of influence in the lives of the people around them, trying to get them to think like we think and know what we know and do what we do and live like we live. This is what social media is. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and blogs is look at my life, listen to my words, model and do and think my agenda, my opinion, my perspective, and my thoughts. That's how that works. Be jealous of my life. <laughs> In essence, you don't you want my life? Like, we're always doing this. This is how parenting works. Whether Even if a person is not a Christian, parents always disciple their kids, they're always trying to impart their ideas and their ideals upon their children. They're trying to reproduce themselves. So you see how this is a very natural thing that all of us do all of the time, whether we're aware of it or not. We're all disciples, all reproducing. The question is, what is it that we're reproducing? That's the question. We all teach. One way or the other, we're all teachers. The question is, what are we teaching we all lead by example all the time to varying degrees and in various ways, but we're all always leading by our, our choices and our examples. But what are we leading people to through those choices and through those examples? We're always exerting influence in the lives of the people around us, but it's to what end? We're always, always making disciples of some sort. The question is, what kind? What kind of disciple are we making? And this is really what 2 Timothy is, is all about. It's a book about discipleship, and it reminds us that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is job one. This is our spiritual gig. We are charged to make the right kind of disciple, and the right kind of disciple is someone who is a follower of Jesus. That's that's the calling upon our lives for us to mentor individuals and apprentice them and teach them and instruct them and speak into their lives and offer a model to be followed all in order to lead them to Christ and lead them to Christ's likeness. Like this is the, this is the job. This is what we're called to do. Let help other people. Help other people to respond to God's love and then to live in light of that love. That's discipleship. So let's just kind of get into the text a little bit here. Um, you'll like this. We're going to cover like little portions of a verse. But anyway, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 2 Timothy, like we talked about last week, is a letter. It's a letter that was written by the apostle Paul to this guy named Timothy, and he writes the letter specifically to offer additional instruction to Timothy. He, offer, he writes this letter in order to further disciple Timothy, someone that Paul had been discipling for quite some time. So let me give you a little bit of background on, on Timothy. Timothy is from the city of Lystra, and everybody knows where that is, right? Other side of Irwin, somewhere over there. Ten miles past the Great Commission, somewhere on the other side of the county. Like, no one knows what happens over there. Right. Lystra is in Galatia. Does that help? Probably not. So <laughs> I had to look it up. So Galatia, think, think Europe, think the Mediterranean. 
And around the Mediterranean, there's a country now we call Turkey, Middle Central Turkey. That's where Lystra is. Okay, somewhere in there. That's where Timothy grew up. That's where he was born. Um, what we know about Timothy, his dad was a Greek. And the way that the, the Bible reads is Greek there is basically meant to refer to a non-believer. So Timothy's father is not a Christian. However, his mother... His mother and his grandmother, so his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, they are stout Christian women. They were actually faithful Jewish women. They heard the gospel, they heard about Jesus, and they were converted, and so they became followers of Christ. And, and what the, the Bible tells us, 2 Timothy, it commends these ladies because they are faithful followers of Christ, and then they pass on their faith onto young Timothy. And so in chapter 1, there in verse 5, it says that the faith began with them in their household, and then it went on to dwell within Timothy. And in chapter 3, a couple of pages later, chapter 3, verse 15, we read that Timothy was taught the Bible. He was taught the scriptures from a very early young age, from childhood. From, from childhood. So you put that together. These two ladies are imparting their faith. They're teaching this, this kid the Bible. What are they doing? They're discipling Timothy. So what, the way I'm going to kind of unpack everything as we go through this this morning, I'm just going to share some discipleship principles. This is not meant to be exhaustive, but just to kind of give us a place, a foothold in regards to how to think about discipleship in our own lives. So uh, usually I save the lightning round for the end because I'm out of time. I'm actually going to do the lightning round here on the front end. So uh, anyway, number one, leadership, oh, not leadership, but discipleship principle number one, discipleship begins at home. Discipleship begins at home. It is primarily the responsibility of the family, primarily the responsibility of mom and dad, primarily the responsibility of dad to raise up followers of Jesus. So we do have children's ministry and Sunday school and we do things for the kids and we're going to do it I mean I, I praise God for our t- children's workers they do an excellent job and all that we're going to continue to do it but this is kind of auxiliary this is like just a support to what should be taking place in the home because we only have the kids for an hour you know each week has 168 hours that's not much influence to exert in the life of a young one parents have them all week long so, so we would say that begins at home. So we'll talk more about that later in the series. Discipleship begins at home. Discipleship principle number two. Discipleship is rooted in Scripture. So that's the testimony of Lois and, and Eunice. They taught Timothy the Bible. What it says. How to live it out. This is, when, when we talk about discipleship, we're not saying, hey, come let me teach you how to play a guitar. That's a form of discipleship, but that's not Christian discipleship. Let me show you how to change the wheels on a car, the tires. Like that's, that's a form of teaching and training, but that's not Christian necessarily. To, for it to be Christian discipleship, we're talking about taking the truth that God has revealed to us in Scripture and then unpacking it for someone, for our kids or whoever it may be, like teaching them what it says. We have nothing else to teach really at the end of the day but God's Word. I, at the end of the day, my opinion doesn't mean much of anything. It's no different or better than anyone else's. This is my opinion. But God's word is eternal and it's truth. So we want to impart that to other people. So discipleship should begin at home. Discipleship is rooted in scripture. Number three. Discipleship principle number three. Discipleship is focused on life transformation. This is the point. It's focused on life transformation. And I always, always make a distinction between behavior modification and gospel transformation. There is a massive difference between the two. I don't want to do what the Bible refers to as whitewashing Christians or, or whitewashing individuals thinking that they're, they've arrived somewhere where, in fact, they're just kind of have learned to manage their skin and it's their skin, learned to manage their sin and hide it and manage it, just keep it from other people when it's just still there. So we don't, we're not after that. We're after actual life transformation. So from the time that Timothy was a little boy, his mother, his grandmother, they imparted the faith upon him. They taught him scripture at home. Not just what it says, but more importantly, 
how to live it, to actually live it out. They discipled him. They instructed him. They mentored him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So it's not just our children, though I would say that our children are our primary mission field. Like if we miss it with our children, we, we're, something's bad, okay? But anyway, so it's, but it's not just our children of the nations, of other people. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them... So this is how the discipleship happens, is through teaching them to do what? To observe, to actually practice, to actually practice and put into application what it is that God has commanded, what it is that God has has revealed. Jesus' point is that discipleship is about life change. The goal of discipleship is life transformation in the life of a person. Person, The purpose of ever doing, say, a Bible study, even for yourself, leading a small group, preaching, whatever it is, the purpose of Bible study is to help people to become actual doers of the word and not just hearers only, but to actually put it into practice into their life. Right faith requires right belief. And it results in right living. That's discipleship. We want to be used by God in the life of an individual that they have right faith. Well, that means they got to know the right things and believe in the right things. But it must also result in living a specific way. In the way that God has commanded and instructed. A, a person is not a Christian if they simply believe in Jesus. And it tells, he tells us in the Bible that even the demons believe. So that doesn't make someone a Christian believing that in Jesus. What makes someone a Christian is that they believe in Jesus to the point that they give their life over to him. So they surrender, they yield themselves under the hand of Jesus Christ. But that's what it means when the Bible talks about faith and belief. It's not just like intellectual. There's a heart that's being given over to to Jesus Christ himself. So this is the way it works. At the moment that a person hears the gospel, so they hear about God loving them so much, and God came down to rescue them, and and they realize that they're a sinner, and they're caught up in this lifestyle, and they can't quite get out of it, and they recognize that the, the consequences of their sin is eternal separation from God. And then they hear that Jesus said, I don't want you to be separated from me. So I I give my life for you, and they're overwhelmed by the love of God. And so they're awakened, and they become a new person. How could a God love me so much? Like, it's one thing to think of a big God way out there. Yeah, he loves me from afar, but it's quite different when that God came down here and, and endured suffering and torment that I may be spared from judgment and suffering and torment. Like, that's amazing. And so the scales come off the eyes, the veil comes torn apart in our heart, and we're awakened. We become a new creature, and as a new creature, now we desire to live this new kind of life. We, we now are following God's ways and growing in God's ways, not because we have to, but because we want to. There is a delight at least a desire to want to follow God because of having experienced his love. And this is what the point of discipleship is. Help someone to just peel back the world from their eyes. Like, just lead them like, to Christ, to, to the gospel and to grace, to the, to the power of the resurrection, to this hope eternal that's offered. Like, walk them through it. Like, talk them there. And then once a person like, says, I want that, and they give their self over to Christ, then we take them by the hand and say, all right, now let me help you to walk this out, to live this out in your life. That is what discipleship is. And that's the example of Lois and Eunice, his mother and his grandmother. Folks, that's what they did. They imparted their faith on Timothy, and they taught him. They taught him. They raised him up in him. So I would say for us, let us be, all of us today, this morning, be discipled by Lois and Eunice. Let us learn from their example to share and teach and help and lead and guide to raise up men and women in Christ. Not just from a young level, but even if they're already adults, to raise them up into maturity in Christ. I think we need to follow their example. I think all of us could dare say be discipled by Lois 
and Eunice this morning. So anyway, Paul, he's on his missionary journey. This is what he did. He's traveling through the region, and he arrives in the city of Lystra, which is where Timothy is. And we're not sure. We don't know how old Timothy was at the, at the time. Maybe a teenager, maybe in his 20s. He's a young guy. He's a young guy. That's not really all that we know. We know that he's young and that he had a stout, strong, good reputation among the Christians around him. In Acts chapter 16, in verse 2, it, it, we read this. He, talking about Timothy, in Acts 16, by the way, is where, Timothy, where Paul met Timothy. It's in that chapter. So in verse 2, talking about Timothy, it says, He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. He had a good reputation. That's the next discipleship principle. The discipleship results in good reputation. And this is part, this flows from, from the life of, altering transformation that we were just talking about but discipleship results in good reputation timothy was raised to such a degree that the people in his town and even in the next town knew about him like people talked about timothy have you heard have you seen that kid man he gets it done for jesus like he gets it like what an what an amazing example for us all so the people knew him very very well so discipleship results in good reputation when we disciple an individual when we're, we're we're doing the task that god has for us what we're hoping happens is that their life is such that they're filled with love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control faithfulness all of that like the fruit of the spirit what the, the whole point of discipling someone is to see that person begin to exemplify humility and integrity, character, graciousness, being forgiving toward people, being loving. In other words, being like, Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? So this is a life, life transformation. The whole point of teaching someone about Jesus is so that they would become like Jesus, and as we grow in Christ's likeness, we will also not only reflect his character, we will also reflect his reputation. We will, ref we will reflect the very reputation of Christ to the people around us. The Bible actually calls on us to be above reproach. You know this. Several times over, it says, be above reproach, be above reproach. Fancy terminology for just have a good reputation. Don't give the people around you in the sphere of your life, don't give anyone any good reason to voice complaints at you or attacks at you or to speak negatively of you. Be above reproach in every way. Don't give anyone any good opportunity to do so. And, and I do think I need to be a little careful here. We all need to be a little careful here. What I mean by this because this does not mean, oh, I should care about my reputation because I, I want a pat on the back. Like, that's the opposite of what Jesus is asking us to do here, right? And, and here, the, the, we have to be careful. We don't want to be so insecure about who we are and what we do and what we're not in this and what other people may think, blah, 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 that, okay, I need to put on airs and, and act a certain way just so people think I'm all that, that I've arrived at something. That's not what we're talking about here either. We're not seeking the praise of man. We're not looking for our ego to be stroked. That's not why we should care about our reputation. Here's why we should care about our reputation. I should care about my reputation because it affects the reputation of Jesus. How I live and how I conduct myself represents my Savior. I am to live a life that is above reproach, that I am walking worthy of the gospel. I don't want to do anything that takes away from the glory of God, that somehow robs from his honor, that somehow uh, takes away from his mission and the gospel and grace or anything. So I desire to be above reproach, not for my glory, but for his and I should desire to disciple other people, not for their reputation as an in and of itself, but for the reputation of Christ through them. 
It is all about pointing people to Christ. And this is what, how it was for Timothy. He had been discipled. He grew up in the faith. As a result, he's got this stout reputation with the people around him. Paul shows up in town. He hears about this young guy and, and how mature and how, how uh, uh, above reproach he is. And Paul actually has a thought. you got to consider who Paul is, right? He's traveling the world in essence. He has this thought. This guy can actually be helpful. In Acts chapter 16, in verse 3, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And I don't, it's hard for us to put ourselves in a position where we feel the weight of that. Paul had been handpicked personally by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentile world. I mean, Paul's a big deal. Like, few people have reached the level of maturity and, and devoutness and, and vigor for Christ like Paul. And Paul hears about this kid and he goes, I want him to come with me. Like, that's amazing. Paul personally handpicked Timothy. Hey, come on, dude, let's, let's get to work. Let's get, let's get busy. Let's do this whole mission, make disciple things together. And, and Timothy said, all right, I'm down. I'm good. And so he agrees to it. And Paul takes this guy under his wing, and they start traveling the world together. And they're going through Macedonia and Greece, and they're going through Turkey, all that region, and they even go back to, to uh, Israel at some point. I mean, they're all over the place together. Everywhere they're going, they're planting churches. They're sharing the gospel in these new cities, meeting new people, sharing the gospel. Churches are getting planted. They're helping to establish good, strong churches everywhere that they go in the midst of that. There's other kinds of ministry that's going on. They're helping the poor, feeding the hungry, all kinds of stuff like that, really good stuff. And in the midst of that, there's suffering and there's persecution. There's torture. They're on the run often, like, like being run out of cities for, for, uh, for the sake of their lives. They're just running away. There's, there's bad times. There's good times. I mean, they, they went through some highs and lows, some peaks and valleys together. And they spent a significant amount of time doing this. Like, this wasn't a, a weekend conference. This wasn't a one-time breakfast. I mean, this was life on life, doing life together for an extended amount of time. Question. What do you think the result of that was? What do you think the result was of Paul and Timothy walking side by side for a few years together. And what you see in the book of 2 Timothy is this. There was a profound affection between the two. There was a, a brotherhood, a brotherly connection of love, a bond that you rarely see even in the Bible. They loved each other because they spent time together. And that's why in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us right there that Paul refers to Timothy as his what? His beloved child. Paul was not Timothy's biological father, but he had developed such an affection and an adoration for Timothy that he considered him like a son. There was a bond, this strong Christian brotherhood bond between the two. And that is why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Again, if you weren't here last week, just to bring you up the page, the, the, the setting for the letter is that Paul is an older individual. He is in a Roman dungeon. He's awaiting trial. He's awaiting execution. Like at any moment, they, they could kill him for his faith. And what does Paul do, really, with his last moments, in a sense? He writes a letter. And he could have written it to anyone on the planet. He could have written it to a church. He could have written it to the churches. No, he wrote it specifically to 
this one individual. He wrote it to Timothy. Just imagine that the like his last thoughts are for this guy. Like he spends his last moments writing last-minute instructions to this individual that he loves. He spends his last written letters furthering discipling someone he had already been discipling. It really is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful letter. He's like, this is my heart, Timothy. This is what I want your life to be about. I'm going to spend my last moments telling you, do this, do this, don't do that, avoid that, do that. He's discipling him. This brings us to the last principle, and it's this. Discipleship is fostered by loving relationships. Discipleship is fostered by loving relationships. Effective and meaningful discipleship takes place in the context of loving friendship. It's the pattern of the Bible. Think, think of the, the, your best teachers growing up. I would bet that there were the teachers that cared the most about you. Think about the people who most have influenced you in, in your life. I would dare say that they're the people who really have loved you in the course of your life. You know, like I, I spent a lot of time reading all this stuff. A lot of it is just stuff. Uh, but I, I spent a lot of time reading, you know, what's going on with the church and church movement and church growth and all these statistics and what's happening with the church and movement and blah, blah, blah. And there, there's a consensus in the U.S. among evangelicals that the, the church is struggling, that the church isn't growing, that we're, we're struggling actually to make disciples. And in my experience, being in several churches and all that, I, I think that's true. I think most churches struggle with this whole concept of making disciples. And I really believe that the reason that most churches struggle with making disciples is because most churches struggle with loving relationships. There is a vacuum. There's almost a negligence of individuals loving each other the way that it was intended to be. Let me like just dial all this back a little bit to kind of talk about how I, I, what I mean about this lack of love. It's, there's a lack of opportunity to even love each other. I think most of us want to be loving and want to be loved, but are we even making room for it in our lives? I, I would dare say you're going you're gonna to be hard-pressed to find anyone that has a higher value on the importance of church, quote-unquote, the Sunday morning gathering than I do. I have a high regard and a high esteem for what it is that happens in this setting, in this, in this context. It is commanded in Scripture. It cannot be argued. Over and over, Old Testament and New Testament, it is commanded in Scripture that believers are to gather together regularly and routinely for the sake of worshiping God and sitting underneath the teaching of God-appointed leadership. Like there is this primus, this, this is this primary in Scripture about the gathered body is we us, not me I. Christianity is not an individualistic faith; it is a team sport. It is a family. Yes, I belong to the universal church, but I flesh that out in my local church. Yes, I'm part of the people of God, but there's a family that God has brought me into. Like, not only has God given that family to me, he has given me to that family. And there is this union, this bond that's supposed to take place with the body of Christ. In this body, we're eyes, we're ears, we're, we're toes, we're, we're different parts. That's what 1 Corinthians says. So we need everyone together to be an actual assembled body. Follow? Like there, there are a few things as important as the gathered body, people together worshiping God. And as important and as good and as right as that is, it is insufficient. It's insufficient. It is near impossible, if not flat out impossible, for us to develop the loving relationships with one another that we're supposed to have in order for discipleship to take place if all we're doing is showing up on Sunday morning. Like, it takes more than this for that love to actually be cultivated and to foster. 
I mean, you're always going to hear me say this. If you're not tired of it, then you will be, and I hope, but I hope that you never grow tired of it. Church is way more than simply attending a worship service. Church is not about attendance. Church is about belonging. It's about belonging to a community of faith. And that's hard. I am not saying that's easy because people are hard my job would be the best job on the planet if it wasn't for people. <laughs> this is our calling. Our calling is people. Difficult people. Hard to love people. People that aren't like us. People that are different. Have different opinions. Maybe they're on the other side of the political spectrum. <gasps> it's okay. Be loving. So, you know, I always beg everyone, and I've been doing this for two years. I guess I'll keep doing it until it happens. I keep begging and pleading people, would you please just show up a little bit early on Sunday mornings? Just 15 minutes is all I'm asking for. Like, just can we show up and not just run into the sanctuary, but can we actually get a cup of coffee or water or at least just mingle and shake some hands and hug a neck? Like, I think we'd be shocked at the, the love that maybe can begin to be to be cultivated by just that little bit of an effort on a Sunday morning and getting to know someone. You meet someone new, or you just connect with someone that you already know. I mean, we can show up at work on time at 8. We're just saying show up at 10, 15, right? So just to, to cultivate that in our lives. And it's why we do a lunch once a month. I mean, I enjoy the food, and you guys do great with the food. Like, I love it all. But it's not about that. It's about just sitting around and talking and having conversations and talking with people that you wouldn't talk with otherwise and talking about stuff that you probably wouldn't talk about otherwise and just having building community with one another as a church and i'll say this even if we show up every sunday for worship and if even if we all show up at 10 15 for some pre-service mingling and even if we all stay for lunch every every second sunday in essence is what it is that's still insufficient and you recognize, right, that in a few hours on Sunday morning, I mean, how, how close can we actually get to one another? Like, so much more is needed. So this is why we, like, beg and we plead and we nudge and we, we push, whatever, you know, terminology is, for everyone that's a part of our church to be part of one of our A-teams. So part of one of our uh, small groups, as we call them A-teams here. And it's so good for us to prioritize this time during our week and to actually commit to making that a reality so that we can actually connect with individuals in a significant and a meaningful way. This is how it worked in the New Testament. If you were to read the book of Acts, this is how it went down. The people were together. The church was together every day. Acts chapter 2, they were eating together every day. They were reading the Bible, studying the Bible together every day. They were praying together every day. They were worshiping together every day. And we're not saying, let's get together every day. We're just saying, can we carve out an hour, hour and a half during our week? Just, just that. Just an, an offering to God. God, take this time and multiply it and do something amazing amazing with it so i ask if you're if you're not currently in an a-team would you please consider it it's for your good it's for the good of church it's for good of everyone like would you consider joining one if you're in one make it a priority like commit to it make it like a real thing a vital thing in your life we have them on monday nights monday evenings tuesday evenings wednesday evenings we even have one on sunday mornings we're trying to offer as many options for people so, because we know everyone has different schedule issues. But to make that a priority in your life, it's a crucial step to beginning, it's not the end all, but beginning to develop these relationships that we need so that I can be discipled and so that you can be discipled because we need loving relationships for that to take place. This is how Jesus did it. You know, Jesus had a small group. They're called the Twelve. Jesus believed in big church. He had big church meetings. They got together and, hey, let's have some fish. He fed them. They had lunch together, right? They had big church. And then he had his small group. He had the 12. And they did life together. They were a small group together. 
And I tell you, it was through that love that they experienced there that those 12 grew in their faith. Or at least 11, I should say, if you know the story. One of them, not so much. How can I grow as a disciple of Jesus if I'm not letting the people of Jesus into my life? How can I disciple someone to follow Jesus more when I'm not making time for them, when I'm not learning how to love them, when I'm not spending the time? Because let's be honest, outside of our children, loving other people is, is difficult. Married people, it's work, right? Why should it be any different with our other relationships? It's time, it's effort, it's sacrifice, selflessness, Christ-likeness. How can we fulfill our charge to be disciples and to make disciples if we're not immersed in a community of Christian love? This is why church matters. This is why we need it. We need to be part of this community of faith. So that we can grow in that faith. And like I said, it is not easy. It is hard. It is heartbreaking. It is gut-wrenching. We get hurt. We get stabbed in the back. We get offended. And we do like Jesus said. We turn the cheek. We forgive them 70 times, seven times. And we keep plowing. And we always keep showing grace. And it's through that that then those relationships experience a love that they would not have experienced otherwise. And that's where discipleship takes place. That's where the gospel gets fleshed, fleshed out. All, and this is just true. Every single one of my closest friends over the last 15 years have come out of small groups. Not everyone that I've been in a small group is a bestie. But, and the reality is, there's just some people I connect with more than others. And that's because we're all different, right? But every one of my closest friends in life have come out of being in a small group, like going through a season of life with them. And, and like I said, it's not everyone, but there always seems to be this one or two over time that I just happen to end up accidentally even spending more time with, whether it's even intentional or not. Like all of a sudden we're just at breakfast or we're at lunch. We're going to go see a movie. We end up on the golf course. We end up talking after praise team rehearsal. Like it just happens normally, naturally, just Friendships that, that take place, that come out of actually spending time with, with under other individuals. These are the ones in my life that I actually end up doing ministry with. You know, so many times with Justin over the years. Hey, Justin, I'm speaking at Campbell. Just come with me. All right. Hey, Brent, I've got a meeting with this other church. Will you come with me? All right. Like, hey, Matt, want to go to Haiti? All right. Like, th these are people I, I do my work with. And it's because there's, there's, been a, there's been a season, a prolonged season, not one day, not two days, not a week or so, a prolonged season of getting to know each other. And now we just, we just do life. And, and these, these are the people that I know are praying for me. These are the people that I really talk to that when I need to vent, these are the people I call, and, I, and they're not going to hold it against me. They're going to let me to let me vent, and they're going to offer advice, and I'm going to receive it even if it hurts because they're willing to be honest with me. I trust them to be honest with me for my own good, and, and I, do the, I do it likewise. These are the guys that hold me accountable. They hold my feet to the fire. This is where discipleship takes place. They love me. I know that they love me. I love them, and that's where it happens naturally, organically, supernaturally. It happens there. So we need big church, we need the small group, the A-team, and then we need that inner core. So think of it, Jesus did it the same way. He had the masses, he had the 70, the 72, he had the 12, and then he had three that he particularly spent time with. So let me ask you, do you have these people in your life? Do you have these besties, these best friends, these really close brothers or sisters in your life that are willing to be honest with you, hold your feet to the fire, pray for you, that you confide in? And we're not talking about just doing crafts with or, or having just random fun with, though that's part of it. But we're talking about people that will speak truth and grace into your life. Do you have people in your life that are like Paul to you, 
Likewise, are you a Paul to someone? Is there someone that you're doing that for? Is there someone that, that they come to you, they know they can come to you when they need help? That you have that kind of relationship with? In other words, are you being mentored and are you mentoring? And what's really neat is that in most of our Christian circles, it's not that I have to always be a Paul to someone who is a Timothy. In my experience, we're always a Paul and, and a Timothy, and it always kind of flip-flops depending on where we are in life. I get to be a Paul for a while, and then someone else gets to be a Paul to me for a while. And that's how it should be. That's how it should work its way out. Now, just to finish that verse, Paul finishes the, what's called the salutation, the opening of the letter to Timothy in verse 2 by saying, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. It really is a prayer. Like in that opening to the letter, Paul is praying that for Timothy, right? But I want you to understand that that's not merely sentiment. Oh, I, won't, I just, you know, may the grace of God and mercy and peace be upon you. It's not just sentiment. You realize that this is what Paul actively did in, in Timothy's life in order for grace and mercy and peace to be a reality in Timothy's life. Paul discipled Timothy over time so that the light of God's grace and the light of God's mercy and the light of God's peace which always shine in Timothy's life. I think we all like the moon, a good full moon at night, right? Big old, huge full moon, fairly romantic, romantic. You're walking, enjoying the moon, and it's romantic so long as no one's turning into a lichen. Werewolf to some of you. Right? It's all well and good until that happens, and that's bad. You know, it turns into a Michael Jackson video, and things go, go hairy at that point, Literally. I'm trying to wake you up. Like, you're smelling the food, and I, I, I know what's happening here. All right. So we enjoy the moonlight, but you realize that moonlight's a misnomer. Like, there's really no such thing as moonlight. Like, the moon's a ball of dirt. Last time, last time I checked, dirt doesn't produce light. Like, it just doesn't happen. So what we see is not moonlight. What we see is what? We actually see sunlight. What we see is the, the light of the sun showering this dirt with light so profusely, it so saturates it with light that it glows, right? It, it shines, it radiates. It radiates. And I think what we all need to recognize is that Jesus, the Son of God, he left heaven and he came to earth to shine the light of God in this world, to shine the light of the glory of God in this world. He is the light of the world. He came to illumine God's love into our lives, and that never shined more brightly than it did on the cross. On the cross there, the light of God's grace and his mercy and his peace shined through. He went to a cross and sacrificed himself to remove our sin, to draw us out of the darkness of our sin, that we may walk in the majesty and the resplendence and the marvelous light of God. Like this, is, this is what Jesus has done for us, that we may bask in the light of God's love forever and ever, that we become children of light. And so I ask, if you're here, have you stepped into the light of God? Are you, are, have you been showered by glorious divine light? Have you experienced grace and mercy and peace that only come by faith in Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you stepped into the life? And if you haven't, I'd say you just step into that light wherever you are. You pray to God, I've been doing it the wrong way. I've been thinking wrong things. I've been believing wrong things. Lord, I want to give my life to you. I believe in your son. I want to be a follower. I'm going to commit to be a disciple of Jesus. And just like that, you're adopted into God's family. Your sin is removed and you will forever sit in God's presence in glory forever and ever. We are dirt. We're made out of the dust of the ground. There is no light that comes from us. But when we step into the gospel, the light of God's grace and mercy and peace shines upon us. And what happens? 
we will shine in this dark world. We will radiate God's love in this dark world. And that, folks, is what discipleship is for. It is leading people into the light of God's love and helping people to live in the light of God's love. We need to be Pauls to people. We need to be like Lois and Eunice to people. We need to be disciple makers. We need to reproduce the gospel and lead people to Christ. This is the charge. This is the mission. And then we need to help them to stay there because the reality is that we all walk away and we meander. We wander from grace. So our role is not just lead someone to conversion, but we lead them to faith in Christ. And then, all right, let me help you to stay there. Let me help you to do that for you. The brilliant theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Bonhoeffer, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without hope, without Jesus, without Christ. It'll come out. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. His point is that if his point is that discipleship is how we bring Christ to bear into the life of an individual. So if we're not discipling, we're not bringing Christ to bear into the life of an individual. And if we're not bearing Christ into the life of an individual, we may be doing a lot, but what we're doing cannot be called Christianity. This is the gig. This is what it's all about. This is, like, this is the match. Like, this is everything. This is why we planted this church two and a half years ago. This is why we're here on Sunday morning. This is, this is actually why we do lunch and prayer night and anthem night and small groups and ministry in town and Haiti trips. We want to be like Paul. We want to be like Lois and Eunice. We want to shine light. We want to bring Jesus to bear in the lives of people. It's our calling. How do you need to respond this morning? Just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward, lead us in a closing song. And just wherever you are, just pray whatever it is that is on your heart this morning. Is today the first time that you actually want to reach out and reach up to Christ and, and receive him as Lord of your life and be forgiven of your sins? Do that where you are now. Just pray confession to Lord and ask for his forgiveness. If you're a follower of Christ, are you committed to making disciples? Are you committed to your own discipleship, your own growth, your own sanctification are you in a small group one of our A teams maybe that's you need to be part of that or maybe you are but you need to you need that one or two for God to provide that one or two that will really come close and help you wherever it is that you are because we all need that help we all struggle maybe right now God is calling someone to mind, someone that you need to disciple or to reach out to and mentor for a season. You know that someone needs a friend and you want to be, be there for them. Lord, Father, you have graciously invited us to orbit around you the way that the moon orbits. That you've called us to center our lives upon Christ and your grace. You've called us not to live apart in darkness, but to live in the midst of glorious, eternal, and good light. You've called us to a life of discipleship, exciting thrilling and exhausting. You've called us to impart upon others what's been imparted on us, to be ambassadors and representatives, to make disciples. Lord, we pray on behalf of everyone this morning that you would be our everything in our life. 
from sunrise to sunset, day and night, that we, we would just base our thoughts and our living on you, that it would drive everything about us, and that it would compel us to help others to do likewise. Be our everything, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.